Today's episode is brought to you by Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash giants and crowns or go to giantsandcrowns.com forward slash brilliant. You know, um, one of the reasons why we started Giants and Crowns uh, is to really focus on and exercise extracting lessons learned. We're hosting these conversations in the hopes that the actions taken by our guests, the decisions they've made, can help inform the decisions that we will all make as business owners, as generalists, as scientists, as designers, as photographers, as, as producers, as creatives, um, but even much more so than all that, as lifelong learners. So I, I fundamentally think that, and I think you, you guys would agree as well, to be a great thinker, to be a great learner, you have to have multiple perspectives, multiple models, a diversity in perspective. Um, you need to be multidisciplinary. Brilliant is hands down one of the best places to polish up and do that in an engaged and active, interactive way. And you know, there's, there's actually this really dope quote by Charlie Munger. He talks about Charlie Munger, the partner of Warren Buffett um, over at Berkshire Hathaway and also an inspiration for the podcast. What he says is the first rule is that you've got to have multiple models because if you have just one or two that you're using, the nature of human psychology is such that you'll torture reality so that it fits your models. And the models have to come from multiple disciplines because all of the wisdom of the world is not to be found in one little academic department. That's crucial. Brilliant provides frameworks that are helpful for thinking and solving problems. Brilliant is a place where you can achieve true understanding by getting to the heart of a concept. The courses are written by leading instructors and researchers who have worked to provoke natural curiosity and guide you through an interactive exploration of deep concepts and principles and ideas. So definitely check out Brilliant. Head over to brilliant.org forward slash Giants and Crowns or giantsandcrowns.com forward slash Brilliant. Support Giants and Crowns by doing that and the first 200 folks from Johnson Crowns who sign up get uh, 20% off their first entire uh, premium subscription year. Um, so sign up, check it out. Let us know how, you, how, how you're enjoying it. Um, when we send out our weekly updates, respond with a screenshot or something. That, that'd be awesome. Let us know that you're part of the crew. Um, all right. Thank you so much. My name is Tyler Schrote. I'm the CEO and founder of the Electronic Gaming Federation. Uh, and essentially what we do at EGF is build infrastructure for interscholastic esports, meaning that we run leagues uh, for formalized or varsity programs for colleges, uh, particularly large division one schools like Ohio State uh, and high schools uh, where we work with state associations, counties, districts, all sorts of cool stuff like that. Uh, we spend a lot of time on program development, looking at uh, what it means to have a program on your campus from a competitive aspect, educational aspects uh, and social impact initiatives uh, and we also do broadcast and event production so basically anything that you uh, would look at in traditional sports that adds value to what it means to be a player a, a team or a fan uh, we all kind of include that in the operations that we do at EGF yeah that's so there's there's a lot there so like how did you guys get started and can you kind of walk us through how the business has evolved from the earliest days to where it is today yeah, for sure. Uh, well, I think it started because when I was a very little kid, like three years old, uh, I started playing video games and or I should say I started watching people play video games because uh, my older brother and sister who are 10 and 8 years older than me uh, didn't have a lot in common with me as a three year old. Uh, and so the way that we always bonded was uh, through video games. So, you know, Super Mario or Twisted Metal or you know, games like that. Um, and what I realized as I was growing up is that it didn't really matter what game we were playing. It was more about the experience that of just being there right so 
when I had the opportunity uh, to get off of dial-up internet for the first time when I was about 10 and get into the, the fast world of broadband, uh, I started playing uh, Counter-Strike 1.6 competitively. So that was around 2001. Uh, and that just kind of stuck with me, like competing uh, in that way while I was also playing football and wrestling and all this other crazy stuff uh, was just awesome. So uh, I was playing uh, Counter-Strike, eventually moved into tournament management and team management roles throughout high school. Um, then when I got into college, I had promised my parents that I was going to stop playing video games. I was going to be a physics major. It was going to be, you know, my world to go off and learn about theoretical physics and black holes and all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, and then Twitch came out. So <clears throat> there was sort of this um, ever drawing presence of esports and gaming that just never let me really leave. Uh, so in 2013, uh, when I was a senior an undergrad, uh, I had been working in residence life as an RA. Uh, I had been working for student conduct. I was working as a defense contractor. I started a longboard company. Like there's all this crazy stuff going on. But in the midst of it, um, as a resident advisor, my primary goal was to get students involved. Right. So as we were, I went to RIT. We're very proud of being super nerdy, uh, and the traditional engagement things that we were told to do just weren't really working for my floor. So we started running video game tournaments and turns out people really love video games, uh, especially in a, a campus like ours. So we started running tournaments for, you know, the folks on my floor for the rest of campus. And then it kind of spread from there. Um, and ultimately we ended up in this position where, you know, we saw a high enough adoption rate that we started to think, you know, is there a way that we could do this as a job? So we started to look at different business models for what it could be. And at that point, we knew that we wanted to kind of in concept be kind of like the NCA, but at that point we didn't really know what it meant. So we were thinking they were going to be something like Battlefy or, or Tournament or any of the other sort of esports platforms that are out there and just go buy like a subscription model or something like that. Uh, but as it turns out, college students don't have a ton of money. Uh, and they're, so we, uh, over time, uh, after going through, you know, Techstars and IGCT and a couple others, we sort of developed this business model where we focus primarily on big division one schools and and high schools that were focused on formalized. So no longer working with clubs except for in the pursuit of developing these varsity programs. Um, and sort of building like a, a truly a true parallel to what the NCA does for traditional sports, but specifically around esports. So our membership is set up similar, our governance is set up similarly, uh, even the business model that we use around how membership fees for account media rights and sponsorships and all that kind of stuff play into this space. Um, we just have a little bit more freedom because, you know, as we became huge sports nerds over the last, you know, six years, um, there's a lot of really cool challenges to overcome and esports kind of gives a lot of flexibility to do that. So we're hoping uh, that we can address some of the challenges that you might hear about if you follow NCA litigation kind of stuff uh, in a way that's a little bit easier for us because, for example, we don't need to follow the rules of amateurism uh, and there's a bunch of other cool stuff that kind of plays into that as well. What does that what does that mean? I'm not I'm not as hip to to some of the some of the blocks and challenges that exist in the ecosystem. So like when you say rules of amateurism as it relates to esports, what does that mean? Um, so in traditional athletics in the NCA, uh, there's what's called amateur status. So basically it means that you as a student participating for the university uh, retain this status. Um, and therefore you're not receiving any compensation. Uh, you're getting your scholarship and potentially um, some living stipends, uh, but you're not allowed to, for example, go get individual sponsorships and endorsements. Uh, you can't receive compensation if your likeness shows up somewhere. Um, and if you break that rule, then you lose your eligibility status to play basketball or football or whatever that might be. 
So um, that's sort of a contentious point because, you know, people make the, uh, the, the case that, you know, the NCAA makes a ton of money. The players are obviously the reason that that happens. And, and so there's a lot of debate as to how that should be addressed and where it should go. We don't have that issue because it's primarily based around the, um, the need for the NCAA to remain a nonprofit. Uh, we, on the other hand, are a for-profit company. So we kind of shed a lot of those um, requirements right off the bat. Uh, and then we look at other things like um, the imbalance of uh, revenue generated by like really big schools versus smaller schools, um, how to maintain competitive integrity and all sorts of really cool stuff that I could talk for literally days about. Um, but the, the general premise for us was to sort of create a system that really looked at all the criticisms of you know how the world works right now and try to create this balanced system that looks at you know what we need to accomplish at a league what our universities are going to expect and then ultimately you know the most important part is what's best for our students right so it, it sounds like it, it's taking you um through a couple of different sort of realms to get to this place to get to this sort of this 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 stage of the organization how did you navigate through the business model through the different business models that got you to where you are today? Like, wh- I guess, what were they and then how did you navigate through them? Well, when uh, as I mentioned, when we first started off, we thought if we could just get enough students to play on a platform, then we could sort of follow the traditional tech mentality at the time where if we had a bunch of users, we could figure out how to monetize after the fact. Um, but as we sort of really dug down into what it meant to potentially be a governing body to run this league, we had to go through several iterations of how to balance all the interests that we were looking at, the politics of the space, the really unique economic models and, and difficulties that kind of come with that ecosystem. Uh, and so we went from, you know, trying to run like a free for all, uh, like battlefy esque platform to working explicitly with clubs uh, to run sort of club-based tournaments because, you know, varsity wasn't really a thing at the time. And then we started to work on a consulting basis uh, with schools who were thinking about, hey, I want to build this program. I don't know what that means, but we can help because, you know, we've done this for long enough that we at least know how that works on campus. Um, And now we've evolved to something that looks a lot more like um, the NFL, like a combination of the NFL, Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer, the NCAA, like a bunch of other leagues that we were able to, you know, study in a crazy amount of depth as to why they made choices, uh, whether it was in different policies or, or different thoughts on their economic models, uh, and then turn that into something that works for all of us. So can you, can you ex- expand on that? Like, what is what are some of the decisions that you guys have made uh, to to create um, the the sort of amalgamation that you have today? Um, well, I think the biggest the biggest evolutionary points of that were just sort of taking that you know traditional startup look and saying, all right, you know, are we accomplishing the goals that we want to, and what are the hard decisions that we need to make in order to. Um, make that succeed. So, for example, uh, we'd always, you know, wanted to keep students at the center of the conversation. Uh, we had originally done that by working specifically with clubs, running tournaments for them, spending a lot of times on sort of uh, helping clubs get better at running their organizations, uh, because obviously we want to support student groups on campus. But what we found over time is that the the challenges that were associated with doing that at scale were so significantly high that it took away from sort of the core elements. And we found that if we focused on working with administration, 
it helped the clubs uh, sort of indirectly and directly because now administrations were paying more attention. We were providing incentives for them to continue to pay attention to them and, and kind of build up in the way that um, you'd expect to see like a basketball or a football team being treated. Um, and then the communities could continue to grow under that. So we had to make some tough choices that for us at the time seemed like, you know, we're, we're kind of straying away from what we thought our core mission was, but we realized over time that it was a better way to accomplish the same goals through uh, a better line of efficiency. Um, then I think as we continued to go on, we just knew that we needed to kind of keep adding different pieces of the business because uh, in esports right now, the the world is developing at it, it's kind of its own pace. And if you look at a bunch of different sections, a bunch of different levers, some of them are developing really, really quickly, uh, while others are kind of lagging behind and then they trade off at different periods. So in the college world where you're already working against universities, um, kind of sometimes uh, preconceived notion that video games are bad or that esports aren't going to be a thing in a couple of years or any number of other elements, um, there wasn't really any room for um, a even a perception of risk uh, or volatility or all these other things that colleges generally don't like because, you know, their institutions designed for be around for hundreds of years. Um, we ended up adding not just competition, but the program development piece, the broadcast, the event production. Um, we do a lot of stuff on working with our schools to uh, kind of like in an agency model, helping them figure out how to commercialize their esports assets and things like that. Um, and the, the point of that was each one of those pieces are sort of critical for an ecosystem to succeed. And we had to adopt our business model, our operations and things to sort of include those. Uh, because if, for example, um, the league started to do really well, but broadcast wasn't there. Then you're not seeing viewership. You're not starting to see the the, uh, the recognition and goals that a university is going to want from that. Um, and so you kind of end up with this weird imbalance. So we ended up just doing all of it, which um, is, I think, better because it allows us to sort of craft and curate the quality of how things continue to develop over time. Um, it, it just means that we have to take a slightly slower approach to certain things. Yeah. So when I hear you did all of it, uh, I guess my, my, my knee jerk reaction is like, that's, that's wild because it's, 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 it, it feels like a lot of different skills. I mean, it's around, I guess like if you envision like a hub and spoke, it's the same hub. And these are all spokes that come off of it that are integral. Maybe there's a better analogy for it, but those are different skill sets, I would imagine, that are necessary to build out program development, broadcasting, etc. Um, is that right? Like, or is it is it not as as complicated as, I, as I'm envisioning it? Um, it definitely can be. And I, I think when we were kind of starting off, there was definitely sort of. Uh, I don't know, like a running around with our heads cut off kind of feeling where we knew that there were so many things to do, but it, it, it took us a little while to really drill down as to what the, the core components of success were. So, I mean, if you look at an esports program on campus or even a gaming community on campus and the things that we could do, there's probably, you know, many, many, many things that we don't currently do that we want to eventually, um, that we, you know, said, let's shelve this for now because it's not immediately serving this mission of getting programs up and running, get the league happening uh, and sort of setting the foundation that enables all of that. So once we sort of stripped away a lot of those extra things and came down to the core components of it, it was then a matter of saying, okay, we know that these are all obviously really well intertwined with one another in terms of their necessity to happen. How can we um, turn these into scalable processes? 
uh, and then keep them in line with the mission. So like, for example, some of our broadcast programs, uh, the educational mission of a university ties in really well with that because, you know, selfishly, whenever we're working with a university, we're always thinking, all right, how can we help the students on this campus prepare themselves so that I can hire them? Because right now in eSports, like the number of qualified individuals, uh, the pool of qualified candidates rather, um, is just not very big. And that's because eSports obviously is pretty new uh, and it's not gotten to a full cycle as you'd see in like sports business or something. We're always trying to think of if we put in a little bit of extra effort to say help build out an educational curriculum or tie a program that we need to into that or um, something like that, it'll help us in the long run, even though it's a little bit more of an investment right now. So it definitely can be complicated, but it's all sort of related. And we sort of set up all of our processes to be scalable. So as we add more people and more colleges or whatever, it's not reinventing the wheel over and over again. Uh, and we do that for basically every business vertical that we choose to get into. So if we decided to like, I don't know, do like a pop-up sort of event on campuses all over the place, we'd apply that same philosophy. And it, the only requirement that we have is that it needs to be serving our, our campus communities. Um, so it, it definitely has a lot of pieces to it. And we try to boil that down and simplify it and turn it into repeatable processes as much as possible. Um, and then make sure that we were um, being really mindful of scope creep uh, and keeping everything super focused on, is this something that's absolutely necessary in us in order for us to get to uh, our goal with our leagues and with our campuses? Right. So you, you mentioned prior to the call that you guys recently locked in a deal with uh, OSU. What, what is that deal and what does it mean for, for the org? Um, it means a lot, uh, not just for us, but for the industry, because Ohio State is by far the, the biggest brand and the biggest university to build a, a formalized esports program. So we started working with them uh, a while back and we kind of applied what we were doing at a very different level, because when you're Ohio State, you, you don't do anything small. Um, and when we came in to start working with them, we, we kind of went through this process of looking at, you know, all right, what does this program look like from a competitive perspective, from an educational perspective? Um, they added in their research performance institute, which is super cool. And it's going to help answer a lot of questions, uh, for things kind of going down the road. Um, and then we were looking at, you know, what does their arena look like? You know, what are these other pieces of campus? Because they really wanted to set the standard for, um, what a program could look like, you know, and kind of, you know, be the Joneses as opposed to the folks that are trying to catch up. So the partnership that we have with them is uh, we help with the infrastructure and the program development and support and all that kind of stuff. And we'll continue that into the future. Um, but the biggest component of it is uh, how we started to develop the league with them. So we work with all of our universities to develop our league structure, which includes, you know, governance, schedule, uh, you know, which schools are going to play against who, when does it all happen, how do championships work, like all those types of things, uh, which on the surface are pretty straightforward. Like, you know, colleges play against other colleges, the best colleges play in championships and that's good. Uh, but trying to scale that to potentially include, you know, 4,600 universities in the US or North America, uh, that can get kind of complicated. So uh, they spent a lot of time with us and, and other universities sort of looking at, you know, how do we make sure that this works right now? How does it work really well into the future? Um, and so they sort of were the ones to put their their flag in the ground and say, you know, this is how it's going to work. And we're going to kind of help set the standard and the tone for 
you know, not just what we've done on our campus, but we want to see it happen across the industry. Because uh, right now, you know, as anybody kind of looking at it casually or professionally, like it's super fractured, uh, both even at the professional level, but definitely at the scholastic level where you're talking high school or college. Um, so they're kind of helping us um, create the standard that's stable enough that, that folks can depend on it. Uh, and build it into something that you know becomes a, a true institution. So that's super important for us, uh, and I think that it's going to do a lot to kind of further the credibility of esports in the eyes of folks that maybe didn't think about it that way previously. Um, and it's also going to do a lot of really good things for students, kind of showing it, you know, what it can be and, and how to go about that. Yeah. So, like, right now, given the, given the state of the ecosystem, the esports ecosystem, like, what is the trajectory of an individual who ends up playing in esports and on the college level? Like, when I think of like NCAA, I think of like an individual who's looking to go off into the leagues into professional play. Um, is that a similar expectation here that there's a des- that you're groom you're setting the stage for individuals to up their skill level and raise their notoriety such that they can then level up once they graduate or is it what like what what is the what's the what's the path look like for a person who's participating uh i mean that's definitely a potential path i mean the way that we look at it is uh we sort of built a parallel system to what you would see in traditional sports with the idea that there are going to be students, whether they're coming out of high school or coming out of college, that are just going to be godlike, right? And they're going to go play for the New York Excelsior, or they're going to be on Fnatic or Cloud9 or any of these, you know, really iconic teams that now have franchise spots and things like that. Um, and those teams are going to change and they're going to continue to develop titles and stuff like that. So we're really excited about that possibility. Um, the difference between, you know, what you'd see in de- uh, the development of, say, a football player is the uh, physical maturity of a player is not as important. So you might have a student, um, like I said, who's coming out of high school, age of you know seventeen, uh, that's going to go pro immediately. So when we built our system, we looked at all right. Here's the most direct path because it's the easiest analogy to what you see in traditional sports. But what about the student that you know graduates high school, goes immediately into pro, and then because you know those that play games tend to retire fairly early when you compare them to traditional sports, maybe 22, 23, 25. Um, what are they going to do after? And for a lot of them, the answer is going to be they're going to want to go back to school. So we built our lead to allow them to come back into the system, uh, the collegiate level, whether they're looking at it from you know getting a scholarship to help manage the team, rebuild the team, uh, or even you know is it that big of a deal if they come back and want to play for a team and and really start to think through those questions. So our our base premise as we looked at all that system was again, how do we keep this student at the center of this and do what's the best for those players? Um, and then think about what that means for the regulatory um, ecosystem around that to enable those types of things. And also just to, in some cases challenge convention and say like, all right, well, is it really such a bad thing if this happens, even though conventional wisdom would say no? Um, and I, I think that that's been really helpful. And so we're looking at it from here's the opportunities for people that are going to be professional players. Uh, here's opportunities that are for people that are really excited about being involved with the esports ecosystem, but maybe they're not competitors, maybe they don't want to or whatever. And they would prefer to look at you know, management positions, uh, journalist positions, like any t- number of those things, uh, give them real life experience through working with the league. So if they want to go, you know, work for Cloud9 as 
an analyst or a social media manager or something like that, they have that opportunity as well. So we kind of look at it always in parallel of here's the competitive side of it, here's the professional career sort of side of it, um, and then make the system sort of morph around that as opposed to the other way around. Got it. So I guess what do you what are what's necessary for you to to win over schools? Like what's what's in it for the schools to to take on uh, the creation of a league? Uh, well, we always kind of look at it as sort of um, a, a mission for the university to do what's best for their students and obviously to stay relevant, you know, keep up with the, the things that their students are demanding. So we always look at what's going to help maintain and increase things like uh, recruitment of new students, the engagements of your students on campus, and ultimately how that leads to retention. Um, so again, very student focused. And then ultimately, you know, how are you serving those students once they're on campus beyond just giving them something fun to do, uh, but looking at other resources like educational and uh, health and wellness and that kind of thing. So um, for us, as we're looking at the the different pieces of that, we're always going back to the university and saying, you know, if you do this and you look at it meaningfully, the students that are coming up from high school are spending more time on Twitch than they are watching linear television. They're not as excited about, you know, pep rallies and stuff like that in the same sense that they may have been, you know, even 10 years ago. Um, and so this is your way to sort of embrace the the wave that's coming. And because I don't think there's any debate that esports are around to stay and they will continue, the games will definitely vary. But this is sort of the centralized structure to be able to deal with that volatility, the change in games as they come, um, and to make sure that you're answering the requirements of students. And a lot of the times we find uh, when we're doing surveys with campuses, both in high school and college, um, something between, on average, 65 and 80% of students self-identify as gamers. Uh, and a lot of those want to play competitively. And so it's just sort of answering their own demands. So that's an easy one. And then the second part is making sure that they have a system that accomplishes the goals they have as a university. So again, going back to the competitive recognition, uh, the educational prowess and sort of the opportunities for career advancement. Um, so job placement rates and things like that. Um, and then ultimately, you know, how are you going to pay for all of that? So we try, we try to answer all of those questions by making our system really available um, and flexible because not every campus is going to be the same. Not every administrator that we work with is going to have the same motivations. Um, but we can answer all those collectively. Um, and then in the end, uh, we spent a lot of time, like I said, looking at health and wellness. Uh, we partner with a company called Anxiety Gaming, uh, which has mental health services for gamers. Um, so really looking at what it means to be a student, what it means to be a person, and then ultimately, you know, how does that tie to esports as a platform? This episode of Giants and Crowns is brought to you by High Five. Recently named one of Fast Company's most innovative companies of 2018, High Five simplifies business collaboration with a conferencing platform that builds connected cultures. It's the only all-in-one conferencing solution, including intuitive cloud software and purpose-built media room hardware. Plus, it's a high-quality experience with a 4K HDR camera and industry-leading audio powered by Dolby Voice. Growing fast with customers in over 100 countries, High Five is already trusted by the likes of Harry's, Rue La Expensify, The Atlantic, and Betterment. To learn more and start simplifying your team's video and audio conferencing, visit giantsandcrowns.com forward slash high five. What have you guys done in terms of, I guess, taking a step back, like the earliest days, you said we, I mean, you described we quite a bit. So who is we? How did how did we become we? 
How did you become Wei? Yeah. Uh, so I met my, the Rocky, who is my creative director and the, the first person to join our team uh, on my 21st birthday uh, because we both have beards. Yeah, I was just going to ask that. <laughs> Beard gang. <laughs> yeah. And at the time, uh, people kind of looked at us in the bar and they said, you know, you have a beard and you have a beard and you should be beard friends. And I promise that's not normally how it works. But in that case, uh, <laughs> we, we hit it off pretty well. And uh, so we've been working on this, you know, basically ever since. And we've um, sort of adopted this model of uh, we bring in people uh, to be part of our, our core team. So right now our core team um, is, you know, based in New York City and it handles all of like the management elements and business development and stuff that you'd see there. And then we built uh, a tournament team, which has about 75 people on it that are broadcasters or tournament organizers, people that you know need to be out there in these locales um and that was sort of an evolution of understanding that there's a lot of really cool opportunities for students to get involved to give them that real life experience um where they can give us a better product on their own campus because they know their campus better than we do um and so that sort of just developed over time so rocky and i met while i was at rit um the rest of our team uh started out as rit alum we started bringing in people from cornell as we went through accelerators like start fast and tech stars um and it, we just sort of continued to collect sort of our, our band of misfits that were all really excited about gaming really excited about sports and sort of the the way to bring those together in a way that was really meaningful and mission driven um and we'll be making a a lot of uh, new friends and teammates probably over the, the next 12 months. So uh, we're always looking for new people because uh, this world is hard to find uh, people that love video games and are uniquely qualified for what we do. So uh, we're, we're looking forward to that challenge as well. So what is it What is it you guys look for in, I guess, like what, what's like the, the, the core value system for for your team? Like what's, what's the North Star? Um, in terms of you know the qualities that we're looking for, or in terms of what we want to accomplish, I guess both. Let's, let's start with the qualities you're looking for, and then what you want to accomplish, which you've spoken to. But let's talk with respect to team. Um, so when we're talking about the the qualities that we look for people that we bring into our team, we like people that um, are really big nerds, and we say that, and not in the sense that like you play video games necessarily, but that there is some specific topic that you're incredibly passionate about that you can go into like more depth than would ever be necessary in, in any normal conversation. Uh, like for example, most of us, you know, esports is sort of that area, but I am a gigantic sports nerd and I read sports books like nonstop because I love learning about major league baseball business and stuff like that. Um, and so we look for people that are really passionate about those types of projects. Um, we like people that um, have come up either through sports or esports just because they sort of have that inherent knowledge of what it means to be part of a competitive environment and look at it from a couple of different perspectives. Uh, but at the same time, we look for people that are, are folks that we need to win over because it always kind of keeps us grounded and saying like if we're going too far out of the box it kind of recenters us so that's really important um and then the third thing that we look for is people that are just really uh mission driven so we always ask the question you know what causes are you most uh passionate about and for some people that's going to be um you know youth education for others it's going to be involved with their church uh for me it's mental health like there's all these um sort of underlying things that if you can identify what people are really passionate about and sort of illustrate how what they do um, coincides with our mission and how they can bring that passion into um, some practical steps with us 
Um, I think that just means better teammates that are better aligned because we all know that we're not just here to collect a paycheck. We all really care about what we're doing. Um, and they get to apply their unique skill set into a project that could, in theory, be limitless because, you know, our job is to explore this ecosystem and, and build it out um, in whatever way ends up being the, the best way. Uh, and we're for wrong, we get to retry again, uh, although we try not to be wrong too often because, you know, that kind of sucks. But um, that's how we kind of look at people. Uh, and in the end, if you can kind of hit those kinds of things, then uh, we're always really excited to have you as part of the team. So what's been something you've learned in terms of like building out the team or even building out? Yeah, I guess building out and leading the team. What's What's been a, a major lesson learned? Um, I think there, I mean, there's definitely been a lot because this, uh, this was technically my second company that I started and my third like real person job, if you could call it that. Um, so I would not say that I was a management expert by any means. I made plenty of mistakes and I think the lessons that we learned were one it's really critical to um, have a defined role that you're hiring for because um, i think earlier on uh, when we were just starting we were kind of like you know we're all really excited about video games we don't really know like what we all need to do yet but uh we're all just kind of like throw at it and see what happens and as the company continued to expand and progress and mature in a lot of different ways, um, some of those became irrelevant. So you ended up with uh, people that had redundant responsibilities or things like that. And then you had to have that challenging conversation of can you transition or you know, do we need to help you find another opportunity? Um, and that can be pretty painful. So now as we're hiring, we're significantly more definitive about, you know, this is exactly what we want you to focus on. Um, not to say that you won't be working on a huge number of responsibilities and things like that well beyond that scope. But when it comes down to it, like this is your primary responsibility. So position descriptions, super like basic, but really, really important. Um, the second thing was uh, really being more goal oriented in terms of uh, practical elements. So looking at and saying, you know, if you're a salesperson, these are the numbers that we're trying to get to. And it's not always about you know how many sales you have, um, but sort of the feedback we're getting and how to continually better the product. Um, in other cases, if we're talking about, um, say, account management, What's the user sentiment that we're getting back? Um, if we're talking about economic models, are we accomplishing the, the goals that we have there? Um, and being able to measure performance against that so we can help um, develop people and sort of overcome some of the gaps that might exist. So those, I think, ended up being the two core elements of that because they were not something that I was as good as I should have been at identifying and working with everybody on in the earlier days. Um, so those become really key. And then, you know, anything that you, well, I shouldn't say anything. A lot of the stuff that you read in like the general management startup blogs are, are actually pretty good for the most part. Um, but in the end, it's all about, you know, making sure that you're listening to your employees and making sure that you're reacting to feedback the best you can. Um, and a lot of that just comes from, you know, transparency and making sure that communication is uh, always first and foremost, even if they're, they're hard conversations to have. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what would you say are some of the, the biggest mistakes you've made to date? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> um, it's it's hard to say. I mean, like, I think a lot of our mistakes ended up being, I think the biggest one was before we understood how to translate the advice of how to deal with things like scope creep, for example, um, before we really knew what that meant, we were saying yes way too often and spreading ourselves way too thin. Um, and ultimately, I think that hurt some of the relationships that we were building early on because we weren't able to deliver on them the way that we wanted to. 
And I think that led us to the lesson of, you know, again, going back to what I said earlier, the, the focus on saying, we know that this is what we need to accomplish. And if we need to bring in other vectors of approach or whatever, or other projects to either make that significantly stronger, making sure that we can vet those processes better. So I would say that was probably my biggest mistake. Um, but I, I think the rest of it was sort of just, I'll, I'll call them growing pains, I guess. Um, you know, the, the traditional pivots of, you know, dealing with, uh, oh man, we need to like rethink our entire business model and rebuild this and all against the the backdrop of people uh, not particularly uh, strong, not having a particularly strong belief in video games and esports in general. So we were always trying to like galvanize ourselves against people who were telling us that we were just wrong entirely about the core elements of our business, and then trying to sift through that for the actual business advice of okay, here's how we structure an organization, here's how we uh, you know scale up this that or the other operation, and, and so on. Um, so lots of little mistakes, uh, and we're we're glad to have come out on the end of the most of them, and I'm I'm sure that we are uh, far from the end of the long line of mistakes that we will make, but it, we're hoping that at this point we kind of uh, start to build out a system that can be a little forgiving, a little bit flexible, and gives us some opportunity to go back and, and retry certain things if we're not wrong. Uh. <laughs> so I guess to kind of focus that question on yourself personally, like how have you grown or changed since the start? Um, like has your beard gotten longer? Has uh, has your regimen gotten better? Um, has your perspective of the world shifted? Like, what what's the biggest change between 2018 version you and 2015 version you? Uh, uh, lots of things. I think the most obvious one is uh, probably that I'm a a huge introvert, uh, and and the ironic part of that is that my job is to like be on the phone with people all the time and meeting some like pretty crazy people every now and then. Uh, and that was a huge, huge challenge for me, especially early on where, you know, I always use the example of like when I was a little kid, it was really difficult for me to like call and order a pizza without like writing out what I was going to say. Um, and so like that definitely carried on into later life. So I think the biggest changes now I've gotten confident enough in you know what our mission is how we talk about things how i talk about myself or team our company all that kind of stuff um to overcome that um and i i hope that uh it, it has sort of helped keep us grounded in some cases because uh, we've had to really think super hard about how we talk about things because it's got to be perfect or uh it, it's not good enough um, so I think that's probably one of the biggest elements of it. And then I think just our, our broader understanding, you know, both myself and the rest of our team of uh, what the world is like in reality and how we can work within those confines, work within a system and still make pretty significant change. Um, like our understanding of uh, like political systems in college, for example, was pretty mediocre and therefore we couldn't adapt and, and work with that or preempt some of those challenges. So I think we've gotten a lot better at adapting to unique situations that you don't necessarily find everywhere else. Um, and, and so, yeah, I guess it's sort of the overcoming the, that sort of introverted feel fear sort of thing uh, into just sort of the way that we look at and attack problems. Um, Cause now we have a better understanding of a, a system as to how we can employ that um, and hopefully uh, make positive change.
Got it. So before we jump over to our quick fire questions, what what is something that uh, we would not know about you having looked at your LinkedIn? Uh, I was a downhill longboarding racer for a couple of years. <laughs> downhill long wait downhill longboarding racer. Those are those videos I end up binge watching all night. Yeah, where these guys are. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Yeah. So how, how did you how did you get into that? What happened? Uh, so what I had never skateboarded in my entire life, uh, except for one time when my friend put me on a skateboard and pushed me down a hill when I was like 10, <laughs> uh, that did not go so well. Uh, yeah. so maybe there are some scars there or something like that that kept me from coming back to it for a while. But, uh, when I got to uh, college at RIT, uh, so in 2009, uh, longboards were just starting to become more popular and especially on RIT's campus where it's like pretty flat uh, and there's a pretty strong distance between like where the dorms are and where your classes would be. Uh, my roommate at the time convinced me to go to Zoomies and buy a Setra 9 longboard uh, and I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, and my sophomore year, uh, I was out skating on campus and I, I ran into this random kid and he's like, hey, I'm thinking about making longboards because these ones suck. And I had just switched into business. So me being uh, all knowing was like, hey, I bet I know how to sell those and turn this into a company. So within like a week, we had decided, hey, we're going to start a business together, which is not usually advice that I would give to people because you want to know your business partners a little bit better than that before you get into stuff. Uh, but it happened to work out really well and we've been best friends ever since. But um, that got us into building longboards and we were, I would say, casual skaters at that point. Uh, and we knew that in order to build a product that was really, really good, uh, we actually had to go be the people that we were trying to sell to. So that kind of led us into going to races all over the country um, and sort of making sure that the products that we were trying to sell to other people were as good as we said they were. Um, and so we ended up with a lot of road rash. Surprisingly, I didn't die, even though I wrapped myself around a tree a couple times and a bunch of other oh. crazy nonsense. Uh, but <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, and I, that the mentality that around the skate community is actually a lot. Uh, you see a lot of influence from that and how we do business now. Because if you look at the skate community, like even competing manufacturers are, are usually pretty friendly with one another. Um, like we would hang out with other deck makers and like all the hardware companies and other racers and all sorts of stuff. And it was all, you know, this life is super hard, but we can all get through it together. And if, you know, one of us succeeds or all of us succeed, then, you know, we're going to do really well for our customers and, and for our community. So we tried to bring that into esports where we're always looking at, um, you know, how do we build out a system that is, able for us to make friends and collaborate rather than, you know, go at each other's throats because we're way too early and way too fractured for that to be sort of the norm. Uh, and I, I hope anyways, that that's, you know, the, the right way to go about things. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a skydiver. So I've, oh, I've very cool. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm on track to, to get to where well, I'm working pretty aggressively to get to a hundred jumps. I'm not quite there yet, but one of, one of the things that I've learned in skydiving is that, um, the more jumps you do, the more it kind of be, it becomes ingrained into your muscle memory. Time starts to slow down and you start to really appreciate like small things. Like the smallest movement has a, has a, has a pretty tremendous effect on how you're going to move in the, as you're falling through the sky, like whether you're going to move laterally or whatnot. Yeah. What kinds of, what kinds of things did you pick up while longboarding? Like not in terms of like selling the product, but actually <clears throat> skating down long hills where a pebble could throw things off like 
Yeah, uh, that definitely happened more than once. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I watch these videos and I think, like, who's clearing the road for all the pebbles? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you always got to uh, sweep the road before you uh, go down or a pine cone will, you know, try to kill you, uh, which happened a lot, uh, which was, you know, always a challenge. But we got we got through it eventually. <laughs> uh, so what we ended up uh, or what I think the biggest lessons for me were, uh, I mean, the most obvious was being really comfortable with risk. Uh, but taking calculated risks. So, you know, if you're going down uh, a highway or something like that on essentially a piece of wood at like, you know, 40 or 50 or 60 miles an hour, uh, like there's not a lot between you and death. So, you know, being comfortable or not thinking about that too much uh, is definitely a big piece of that. Um, And then as we were thinking about, or as I was thinking about um, how to keep my parents from stopping me from doing that, it was being really comfortable with that risk and not by like not thinking about it and not obsessing over it and that kind of stuff, but taking calculated risk in the sense of like, okay, at least I can wear pads. At least I can sweep the road. I can do these different things. Um, and I, I think that informs a lot of like how we approach decisions now of, uh, looking at decision-making in a bunch of different perspectives so we can mitigate for contingencies and stuff like that. Um, but accept that obviously all of this could fail at, like tomorrow, really. Um, You'd hope not, definitely, but it's a startup, so you never know. Um, That's right. And and kind of looking through that lens of being really comfortable with risk and saying, you know, forget about it. We're just going to do it anyways because, you know, if you live your life being afraid of things, then like, what's the fun in that? Uh, and I think those are probably the biggest pieces of it. And I also learned the importance of things like flex and wheels and all sorts of things that I uh, <laughs> still think about a lot. Uh, and also now that when I step on a board, I am significantly more out of shape than i used to be <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> respect it um awesome man so let, let's jump over to quick to our quick fire questions you ready yes all right so first question biggie or tupac uh biggie why i mean i love tupac who doesn't love tupac but i think biggie's got the, the like the tune that you're gonna be bumping in like a taxi at midnight uh <laughs> tupac just doesn't quite have that on me yeah, I respect it. Um, what what is a what is a book or a number of books that have been the most impactful to you personally and or professionally? Probably indentured by Jonah Sarah or the game by John Pessa. Um both of those are sports books. One's about the NCA and sort of the, the like life of college football and, and how that is, which influences a lot of you know how we develop systems. Uh, the game is all about Major League Baseball from like 1988 to 2010, uh, and it talks a lot about the really unique challenges of running that kind of league. Um, and so those have just become hugely um, impactful on our business strategy and mindset and stuff like that. Uh, and then from a, a broad perspective, uh, Creativity Inc., which is the book about Pixar, uh, was probably one of the best to read about uh, team organization and corporate culture. Nice, nice, nice. What is uh, what's the tool? Um, that's been the most impactful, helpful, top of mind to you in terms of getting ideas out, building things? Uh, pipe drive. Uh, we obsess over CRMs because it dictates like our entire lives from our calendars to our project management to communications between teammates. Uh, and I couldn't imagine life without something like that, at least. 
Yeah, same here. I use PrimeDrive as well, and I don't, I don't know how I would, how I'd function without it. Yeah. Well, I know how I'd function without it, and I would probably be an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, as a result, <laughs> as a result, um, what is a um, so you 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 have a hundred dollars? You're given a hundred dollars. You have no other money, just a hundred dollars. Yep. You have two weeks to turn this hundred dollars into two thousand dollars. You can't sell any stocks. You can't, uh, you can't, uh, yeah, you can't sell any stocks. You can't trade anything on the market. What do you do? Uh, geez. Uh, buy myself a new, nice suit and get a job. I think. <laughs> I respect it. <laughs> you think you could get you could get a job in two thousand dollars in two weeks? Uh, I mean, if you set your your heights or your sights high enough, I think so. Okay, <laughs> I respect it. Um, all right. So, last question: You're allowed one meal for the rest of your life: breakfast, lunch, and dinner. This one meal. What's in your meal? And don't hold back on details. Uh, that's a really tough one for me because food is like what my life revolves around. Uh, I would say either a pepperoni pizza from artichoke here in New York, uh, because I love their cut pepperonis more than life itself. Uh, (laughs) or there is a place called the Smith in Midtown, uh, that serves chicken and waffles on Wednesday night. Uh, and it is probably the best chicken and waffles I've ever had in my life. So I would say between the two of those, I'd be set for quite a long time. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much for taking the time out today. I really, really appreciate it. I'm glad we were able to, 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 to spend some time today. Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Anytime. See you, Tyler. Have a good one. You too.